All right, in Ephesians, we will be in Ephesians this morning. In Ephesians, we're... What? Oh, this evening. We'll be in Ephesians this evening. Well, I don't know. No, I mean, Paul preached till midnight, and that qualifies as morning. So, we'll just see who's right. In Ephesians, some of the themes are on the screen there. Uh, you've got early on this theme of chosen in Christ, followed by together in Christ, because one of the big themes of Ephesians is that both Jews and Gentiles in Christ are merged into one new body. And what a, an unimaginably good thing that is. So together in Christ is a big theme in Ephesians. And then most of chapters 4, 5, and 6 are walking in Christ. You can't walk in Christ. You can't be pleasing to God until first you've been saved by his grace. So it starts with grace, what only God can do. And then once God has saved you by his grace, you are now in a position where you can walk in his grace. You can walk in Christ. So that's kind of where we're at. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. And verses 18 to 21, where we're, what we're going to be talking about this morning is being filled with the Spirit. And initially, when I started putting these notes together on being filled with the Spirit, there's a lot that could be said, and I was going to try to say most of it, or a lot of it, so that there's your midnight theme. But I realized I'm not going to get to verses 19, 20, or 21 at all this week if I do that, and I kind of want to make sure you see how it fits together and then I'm going to back up, and then we'll do a little bit more just on verse 18. And then next week, I think we'll pick up on uh, the whole idea of submission in verse 21 and build on that. We'll see how today goes. But what, what's going to happen is I'm going to, I'm going to skip over a, very, a, a good explanation what it means to be filled with the Spirit until the end. So it's not because I don't want to talk about it. It's just that that's not, I don't want that to be the only thing I talk about. So I will save it to later, not initially. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, it reads like this. <clears throat> Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in those instructions, the main theme driving that entire sentence, which in Greek, I think it actually continues all the way through verse 24. Uh, although I didn't completely research that because I don't want to feel like a couple of Bible scholars said it ended at verse 21. So I'm unclear on that. And uh, I didn't explore it fully. But it's a big sentence, no matter how you look at it. Driving that entire thing is the theme of being filled with the Spirit. That's his main point. Something about you need to be filled with God's Spirit, with the Spirit. Now, what we've already discovered in Ephesians about the Spirit is found in chapter 1 and found in chapter 4. In chapter 1, we found out that those who are chosen in Christ are sealed with the Spirit. And that's a one and done. You're sealed, chosen in Christ. You're sealed upon your belief. And it's done. It preserves you for the kingdom of heaven and all of its fullness. Uh, and then we're told in chapter 4 not to grieve the Spirit. And just by way of reference, so you're not, 
No, I'm not pulling this out of my hat. If you want to go back to chapter 1, I'll actually read those verses. This is all in the theme of being chosen in Christ. And in chapter 1, verse 13, it reads, In him, referring to Christ Jesus. So, in Christ Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee... Of our inheritance. My inheritance is not guaranteed on my performance. My inheritance is not guaranteed on my believing it. My inheritance is based upon I believed in Christ, I believed in the gospel, and on that I was sealed by His Spirit, and the Spirit guarantees my inheritance. It's an inheritance, Peter writes, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter, says it's an inheritance reserved in heaven for you and it can never perish, spoil, or fade away. If the inheritance was something that he handed down to me, gave me, it's a scroll, it's some sort of a card, it could be like my keys, which I lost a couple days ago, I don't know where my keys are, I could be in trouble. But God knows enough not to give me my inheritance proof of having it, it's reserved in heaven for me, and I am kept by his spirit. This is a work of God, a work of his power, and a work of his grace, which is why God can guarantee it's happening. It's happening. And then not, being, uh, not grieving the spirit came in chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. If you want to skip to chapter 4, 29 and 30, Paul writes... Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So again, we're told that we're sealed for this future day of redemption. But here we're told in the meantime, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We've already talked about that on some measure. So we're going to move on from that and go to where we're talking in Ephesians chapter 5 about being filled with the Spirit. What we find out is there are four evidences. They're both evidences and qualifications or things that uh, result in or affect being filled with the Spirit. So as you do these four things, you uh, lend yourself to being filled with the Spirit uh, but there are also consequences of being filled with the Spirit. It's kind of circular. These four things are verbal participles. I'll point them out in the text. It's super easy to see. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, it encompasses addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's a participle. You're addressing one another. The second participle is actually two, but I've reduced it to one. Singing. And making melody, they go together. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's a participle. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you're addressing one another. You're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And number three, you're giving thanks always and for everything. We'll talk about that. And then number four is you're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you're not doing those things, you're not showing evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Nor are you lending yourself to being filled with the Spirit. In the context, that's what Paul says. This is what it looks like. Let's look at these one at a time. Number one, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This does not mean that 
Well, when I went to the Anglican church a couple of weeks ago, there were times the, the minister, the priest, he sang his part, and then the church sang back to them. In the Lutheran church, we did, we did a fair amount of singing, even in the liturgy. I don't remember that in my Lutheran church, the pastor sang his part. Uh, I couldn't be a Lutheran because I really don't want to sing solo parts and sing to you, though I'm happy to hear you sing back to me. Um, but when Paul says we should address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he's not saying the church should never, we should never be talking like I'm talking right now, we should only be singing. That's not what he means by that. I think what he means by that, and, and people that really delve in deep to this, I think they make good sense. What he's talking about is two things. He's talking about we are instructing one another and we are fellowshipping with one another. In other words, there's a horizontal thing going on here if we're going to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is like, I don't need anybody else. I'll just get filled by the Spirit all by myself. It requires community. Okay? It requires community. And, and what we are instructing one another with, what we are encouraging one another with, is the gospel. It's truth. We're communicating God's truth to one another, in particular, or in some unique sense, in what we sing. Martin Luther understood this. Because most people didn't have their own Bible. Uh, having a Bible was extremely rare. Uh, we take it for granted. At least I assume we take it for granted. I've got so many Bibles, and I'm not complaining. I like it. I mean, I, I keep buying more. I intend to. I like, you know, I, I read a Bible through. I color it up. My daughter thinks it's like a coloring book for me, and it kind of is. But I color it up. It takes me somewhere between two and three years to color up that Bible. And then I get a new Bible, usually a little bit different translation. I start coloring it up. It's just a good way to learn the Bible. And I tell everybody in the family, they can all have dad's Bible when I'm gone. Because there's one for everybody. There's one for everybody and grandkids and probably some friends and strangers. Uh, I'm just working on it, depending on how long I live. But Martin Luther understood the power of music. Because, and, and you do, too. Because probably in some of your most difficult moments, what comes to you, it may be a Bible verse, but it may very well be a song. You know, it is well with my soul, or uh, be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side, or great is thy faithfulness, or how great thou art, or the love of God, which we just sang. Martin Luther and Wesley, the Wesleys understood it as well, that people can commit profound biblical truth when it's put to music and when it's put in song. And so even in the New Testament, and by the way, they didn't have the New Testament. When Paul's writing this, he can't say, just make sure you carry that pocket, you know, New Testament with you wherever you go. They didn't have it. The letter that he writes goes to one location, and I'm sure somebody, some individuals are busy copying it so that it can spread out. That's the plan. But that's a slow process. So what the church did to understand these important truths about God and his goodness and his power, they put it to music. And people learned it. And so we communicate truth to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Some of my earliest memories, I mean my earliest memories, and I'm not talking yesterday because I'm... Sometimes I joke about that. We've talked about it in the family. You know, what we asked Nora, what's your earliest memory? And she gave us her, and they're like, Grandpa, what's your earliest memory? And I'm like, well, yesterday. 
No, actually, one of my earliest memories was we did a scripture reading somewhere. It might have been at the Anglican Church when I was in Nashville, based on a psalm, and it reminded me out of out of nowhere a song we used to sing when I was in the Lutheran Boys Choir when I was like just a little grade school kid, probably third or fourth grade. Uh, Elisha Hoffland, who was the music director at Millican University, went to Pilgrim Lutheran, and he he directed also the Boys Choir. And I can still remember, not the entire song, but I can remember a good part of the song that was based on that psalm. And literally, that's one of my earliest memories. I just forget that I remember it until I read the psalm. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I can sing that. That's what Paul means. So uh, that's first of all. To be filled with the Spirit means addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Secondly, it means singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So being filled with the Spirit not only affects our relationships horizontally, but it also uh, affects our relationship vertically. We are singing to the Lord like Omar Schwarzenegger did. Wouldn't it be something like in most of our church tradition, I don't want to speak for you, but in most of our church tradition, we can get a little bit nervous that somebody might call on me to pray before a service, if we're honest. Omar Schwarzenegger doesn't not only doesn't mind praying, you can say, Omar, have you got a song for us? And he'll stand up and start singing from his heart to the Lord, and it's a blessing. I'll never forget Omar Schwarzenegger. It's kind of bringing tears back to my eyes when I was reading the book and everything because he was such a unique individual, such a treasure in God's kingdom. Christianity is a singing religion. Heaven is a singing place. It's, if we can't sing, who's going to sing? I mean, what religion has the song history that biblical Christianity has, that the Hebrews had in the Old Testament? They were a singing people. We are a singing people. You know, one of the songs that Bob Jones, I don't know which one it was, Darwin went, well, I guess you guys went to Bob Jones for a little while. He didn't last very long. But you did go a little while. One of those Bob Joneses really liked the song, Oh, Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. Uh, and he would make the students, if they didn't sing it loud enough, he'd say, we're going to do that again until you get it right. You know, oh, for it, oh that, that should be our prayer. Oh, that God would give me a thousand tongues to sing his praise. Because he's worth it in light of who he is, in, along with what he's done. So secondly, to be filled with spirit requires uh, this singing of praise and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Thirdly, You've got giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, commentators here uh, start getting a little uncomfortable, some of them. Some of them really don't address it. Some of them do. Some of them are like, now, just to be clear, we're, it doesn't mean that Christians play happy, happy, happy all the time. And they, and they point out, you know, there's times we weep with those who weep. And we sorrow with those who sorrow. That's, we do live in a fallen world, in a broken world, and there are sorrows. And we're not celebrating those things like, oh, just praise God in spite of that pain. No, we can embrace the pain, yet we don't grieve as those who have no hope. So there is a difference. I think the best way to understand that is something along the lines of, we can express gratitude because of our faith. We know that for those who are in Christ, there are no wasted moments. We know Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good. To those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. 
He doesn't waste those pains. He doesn't waste those tears. They fashion and make us more like his son. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Jesus, when he was, uh, I've got a reference on there for, for uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, which is worth looking up on your own. I don't know that I, I'm always confused how much time I have because I don't have a lot of time. Because we're used to meeting on the half hour at our place, and we're meeting at the top of the hour here. So I'm running out of time. So the gist of it is this. Uh, Jesus, uh, both in the Gospels and the way Paul records Jesus' Last Supper, Paul says, I deliver to you that which I also received, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, when he'd given thanks, He wasn't thanking God like, I am so looking forward to shedding my blood, being brutalized, wearing a crown of thorns, have people spit in my face and slap me across the mouth. He's not giving thanks for that suffering, that pain, that injustice. There's no more horrific crime that ever could have been committed for the Lord of glory. But he knew his father was accomplishing a good purpose in spite of it all. And for that, he gave thanks. And I would say First Peter makes that very explicit. He is our example. It doesn't mean we rejoice in the pain left all by itself. And some people, have, you know, Omar Schwarzenegger experienced the pain of having a son die at 19 in a car accident. And other people, I've known lots of people that have experienced deep pain and walked through deep waters that I've not been called to walk through. But they could give thanks, not for the pain itself, not for the incident in isolation, but in faith that God rules over it still. And he is working a good purpose in my life, though I may not understand it at the time. I think that's exactly what Paul is driving at when he says, we're giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father who rules over that, superintends that, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I will let him be my example. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, is what Jesus prayed. Then fourthly, the fourth component is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The real emphasis here is an emphasis on humility. Humility. If somebody says that they are filled with the Spirit and they're exercising lordship over you and beating you down, uh, they're they're not filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit shows a demonstration of humility and kindness and gentleness. Now, there are times uh, Christ was tough on the Pharisees and the hypocrites. I get that, and I realize there's, there's a time for that. Uh, I also realize I'm not Christ, and I, I can't judge men's motives like Christ could. But I know somebody who is filled with the Spirit, particularly a servant of the Lord, isn't, I, doesn't lord it over you. He, he exercises his sphere of authority or his sphere, sphere of influence or charge with humility. And a really good reference there is in 2 Timothy, which I don't know if I put that in my notes. I did. 2 Timothy reads, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Sometimes individuals that seem to make it big in the evangelical world are not known for their humility, 
they're known for they're known for their success, but oftentimes it implodes because they aren't spirit filled, uh, and it all comes crashing down because we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, but it is a real submission. And as Christ submitted to his Father, we are to exercise submission to one another, and there should be this pervasive attitude of gentleness and kindness. All right, let's go back. Being filled with the Spirit, there are two commands to make one emphasis. The two commands are, don't be drunk with wine. And then the positive command is, but be filled with the Spirit, which seem like polar extremes, and on some level they are, but on some level they're related because Paul puts them together. Paul's already put other ideas together. He's contrasted, you once were dead, but now you're made alive in Christ. He's emphasized, you once were darkness, but now you're light. These opposites. Now he's saying, uh, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is, or that is debauchery. The, The King James, I think, says, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's some comparison, some contrast that Paul wants to, us to think about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So let's talk a little bit about this. If I look up the word drunkenness in, in a dictionary, it is defined as intoxicated with alcohol, is how drunkenness is defined, to keep it really simple. So I'm like, okay, so what does the word intoxicated mean? The word intoxicated is defined as to affect temporarily with loss of control which is interesting. Now, the word intoxicated breaks down. It's a compound word. It's in. And then the second part of the word is kind of simple to figure out. It's the word where we get our word toxic. Okay? Toxic. So why, the question would be, why would somebody temporarily, willingly affect themselves where they are, are bringing a toxin into their body wherein is excess, this drunkenness, that is a, a toxic. It's in excess. It's destroying your liver. It's destroying, it's destroying a lot of things. Why would somebody do that? I'm going to suggest ultimately there's two reasons. Number one is to escape things. People get drunk. And, and I should make this very clear. This kind of escape isn't limited to alcohol. It could be limited to whatever. It's something that is controlling you, and you do it because you're trying to escape something else. And it is occupying your time or your mind, or or it's making you not feel a certain pain, and that's what you're trying to escape. We've all got things we could escape from. Broken relationships, disappointments, failures, embarrassment, humility, or humiliation, rather. We've all got those things in our past. And some people, their past is so hurtful, they drink to forget the pain. They're medicating the pain. It happens all the time. You know, my, uh, Ryan, when he was in Alaska for a couple, you know, he was there two different summers doing, uh, uh, giving bike tours uh, for all the tour, uh, cruise ships that came in. And uh, one of one of the people that he knew up in Alaska, he said, would get up, and I didn't retouch with Ryan to make sure I get the story exactly right, so I'm working off memory, uh, but it's close. Uh, but there was one guy up at Alaska, because there were a lot of broken people. Ryan was pretty broken in Alaska, too, by the way. 
Uh, he was partly in Alaska because he was running from answers. Uh, he, had done, answer, he had questions without answers. I mean, he just was not at peace with himself. He, he uh, struggled in a lot of different ways. And, and in Alaska, uh, one of the guys up there would get up very early and go down to this, this body, this lake or whatever. He would go up there. Every morning he'd go down there. And Ryan went down with him one time and, and kind of like, what's the routine? Like, why do you do this? And he's like, well, my mother drowned herself intentionally. She committed suicide by drowning. And I come down here every morning to think about that, what it would be like, the pain that he had. And then a lot of the people in Alaska, you know, abused alcohol and they abused drugs, like a lot of people do, that are escaping pain, that are escaping hurt. That's what they do. But the other reason why a lot of people take in something that is toxic to their body is they're trying to pursue something. It's actually kind of the opposite. They may not be trying to escape a pain, but they're trying to pursue some, something that they think will bring fulfillment to their life. Maybe if I meet the right person in the right set of circumstances, you know, maybe I'll experience some joy. You know, I don't dance at weddings. You know, I used to dance at weddings I used to dance at discos way back in the day, but, you know, I had a couple of beers to dance at a disco. I mean, that's just the way it worked. It, it, you're trying to pursue something. Um, some people, that's why they drink. They're looking to find some meaning, something that will bring joy and pleasure to their life. And so they turn to something like the bottle. Let's take that away. Uh, alcohol is a depressant. It literally means, a depressant means to press down, it, to press down. Uh, by contrast, being filled with the Spirit is a stimulant. It means to quicken, arouse, or incite action. So they're opposites that way. They both affect, affect who you are. One suppresses, it depresses, one actually stimulates and excites and goes up. One goes down, one goes up. That's a contrast that Paul's making. They both affect you. One is good, one is very bad. Uh, in our culture, we have uh, this, you know, this acronym DUI, driving under the influence. Alcohol influences behavior. That's what it does. The Holy Spirit is meant to influence a Christian's behavior. Just like alcohol, not just like alcohol. The influence is the same, but the, the goal of that influence is quite different. We also have in our culture, we talk about alcohol. Distilled alcohol are, are called spirits. You probably, there's probably some liquor stores. They talk about, you know, these are spirits, which is a really interesting word. And, and the reason why they're called spirits, because a spirit is an animating principle. A spirit exercises control over a person. You may have a, a spirit of fear. You may have a spirit of... Uh, sadness or a spirit of anger. It's some, something that is affecting you. And alcohol, distilled alcohol, which is concentrated, are called spirits. Because when you drink wherein is excess, it affects who you are. It affects how you conduct yourself. Just like as if a spirit took control of you. And so alcohol in excess or, or distilled alcohol are called spirits. Alcohol lowers, lessens, dulls, deteriorates, and compromises. Whereas being filled with the Spirit heightens, sharpens, enlivens, 
and intensifies. Let me talk about that for just a moment. If you drink alcohol to excess, it lowers your standards. It lowers your response time. It dulls your thinking. Uh, you, you become less of the person that you really are because you are being affected by what you're taking into your body, which is a toxic, a toxin. Uh, by contrast, being filled with the Spirit doesn't make you less aware. It makes you more aware. It sharpens everything. Now you are more concerned with how you behave may affect somebody else. If you're filled with the Spirit, I'm going to be more kind, more gentle. I'm going to uh, do more to try to build them up in Christ than I'm just left to myself. I'm going to be who I am, and I may embarrass myself, and it could get ugly. Uh, there's quite a difference. Alcohol makes you forget. Makes you forget to be sensible. Makes you forget what you ought to do in the situation. Makes you forget that you have no business driving a vehicle. Alcohol tends to make you forget. The Holy Spirit tends to make you remember. Don't you remember what Christ did for you? Don't you remember what you've been called to? Don't you remember you once were in darkness, but now are light? Walk as children of light. The Holy Spirit is always calling believers to remember, not forget. People drink to forget. The Holy Spirit says... He fills us so that we would remember what's most important. I think um, drunkenness, excessive alcohol brings out the worst in man. Uh, in the English Standard Version, they call it debauchery. Making a man more like a beast. Being filled with the Spirit affects the best in a person, making a Christian more like Christ. So alcohol makes us more like a beast... Being filled with the Spirit makes us more like Christ. But just like both of those influences affect an individual's behavior, Paul says, don't be affected by alcohol for the worse. Be filled with the Spirit and become more like Christ. Um, I don't think I can go further. Maybe I can. I'll go a little bit further. I think I can do this quick. Here's the details of being filled with the Spirit. Number one, it's an imperative. He says, be filled. It's not, I want you to go home and think about this. This is, if you're a Christian, one of Christ's commands to you is be filled with the Spirit. Number two, it's plural. It's for everybody. It's not for, look, if you're going to be a leader in the church, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I know in Acts chapter 8, when they were looking, or 6, when they were looking for men to serve tables, they needed to be filled with the Spirit. But this command is given to the entire church. If you're a Christian, all of God's people are intended to be filled with the Spirit. It's plural. Number three, it's a present tense. That is, it's ongoing. It's not like you were sealed with the Spirit and it was one and done. It's like you are to live your life filled with the Spirit. It's ongoing action. And then lastly, it's a middle voice. Now, this is the tricky one, but it's also the most interesting one. I don't, we, we don't talk about the middle voice much in English, but you understand an active and a passive. So let me give it to you real quick. An active voice, the subject performs the action of the verb. So in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's an active thing that God did. That whosoever believes... That's an active thing that you do. 
Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's an active thing. Somebody does something actively. I engage the action. That's active. There's two of them in John 3.16. God gave, you believe. Secondly, you've got a passive verb, and a passive verb is the subject does not perform the action of the verb, but is being acted upon. I'm not acting anything in a passive verb. Rather, I'm being acted upon. A really good example of this is in John chapter 3, when Jesus is engaging in a discussion with Nicodemus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, it's clear, actually, in the old King James But it's there no matter what Bible you use. But Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it's passive. You've got to be acted upon. You've got to be born from above. He doesn't tell Nicodemus what he can do. Though John 3.16, which is the same chapter and a little bit later does come... And it says, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an engaging in an action. But in John chapter 3, in verses 1 to 3, maybe verses 1 to 5, twice he says, you must be born again. It's an action performed on you by somebody other than you. And that would be God's spirit in John chapter 3. Then it brings us to the middle voice. In the middle voice, the subject performs the action of the verb, but also participates in its results or acts upon himself. I think I have himself twice. Oh, no. He acts upon himself, for himself, or in his own interest. So this is an action performed by you, for you. And that's what's used in being filled with the Spirit. So it's not something that's entirely outside of ourselves. It's an action we perform uh, not simply separate from ourselves. It's an action performed by us for us. Now here's how it all puts together. The point is this, something along these lines. At conversion, that is at salvation, when you were regenerated by the Spirit of God, when you were given life, you received all of the Holy Spirit. You received all of the Holy Spirit the moment you believed. He indwelled you. He sealed you for time and eternity when you believed the gospel. You received all the Holy Spirit. But now the question is, in my day-to-day walk, does the Spirit have all of me? That's the question. The Spirit, uh, I've got all the Spirit. Does the Spirit have all of me? And that's where Paul is saying Be filled with the Spirit. You've got to do something. You've got to participate in something that the Spirit has all of you. You've got all of Him. Does He have all of you? How do we make ourselves, put ourselves in a position where we have all of this, where where the Spirit has all of us? And the answer is three things. Number one, in context, it has to do with everything Paul's already talked about doing in, in Ephesians. Number two... It's those four participles that we've already identified in these verses 18 to 21. Singing uh, amongst ourselves horizontally before God, giving thanks to God in every situation, and submitting ourselves to one another. By doing those things, I am lending myself, I'm participating in the Holy Spirit, having all of me. And then thirdly, 
The answer is in Colossians 3. So turn to Colossians 3. I'm going to close and we'll open it up. Colossians is just two books past Ephesians. So in Ephesians, after Ephesians, you're going to find Philippians. After Philippians, you're going to find Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 3. I've already told you that Colossians is a parallel book to Ephesians. And it tells us something very important in a way that Paul doesn't exactly write to the Ephesians, but it's the same thing. So in Colossians chapter 3, let me find it in my notes. I'll go all the way to verse 1. And this sounds like Ephesians. It will sound to you like I'm reading Ephesians, but I'm not. Colossians 3 says this. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is the same types of things he wrote to the Ephesians about. Here's what you're going to put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's exactly what what he wrote the Ephesians. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here... There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, go tell the pastor. No. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Then he says, instead of be filled with the Spirit, the parallel in in Colossians in verse 16 is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord or to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To the Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. To the Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you ask me, Boil it down. Give me one thing. What does it mean? How can I lend myself to be filled with the Spirit? Answer, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Take in God's Word. It's inspired. Don't see how many podcasts and preachers you can listen to. Take in God's Word. When the Word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, you are doing exactly what Paul calls the Ephesians to do, Be filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit takes the Word of God and begins applying it to your relationships. And it begins showing you your motivations and what you're thinking and what you're saying. 
And the more you take in God's word, the more you realize how much you need God's grace. What are your comments and questions? This works. This is kind of awkward, but you know it makes for a really good recording. And I've had people over the years say, you know, we wish we could hear the questions. And now for the, while we're here, it's working really well. So if you have a comment or question, raise your hand. There we go. So um, verse 21 ends with um, out of reverence for Christ. Is that, what does that mean there? Are you going to get into that next week? I think out of reverence for Christ is just as Christ did, and because he's our Lord, we acknowledge him as our Lord, as the one who we are wanting to be conformed to. So out of reverence for him, if, if um, you know, along the lines of if they persecuted me, your Lord, then they're going to persecute you as my servants. So if I can give thanks on the night in which he was betrayed, give thanks, knowing that in hours, everything that's going to happen to him, that out of reverence for Christ, if our Lord can do that and he's called us to do that, then by his grace, that's what we will do. Somebody else? Cindy? Yeah. So... The subject performs the action of the verb. So we fill ourselves with the Spirit? Uh, the Spirit fills us, but we participate in that by what we do. Yeah. I mean, we, we, can't, we don't control the Spirit, but the Spirit is pleased to fill us as we lend ourselves to the four things that were already told us. And as the Word of Christ dwells in us richly... We are lending ourselves so that the Spirit fills us, but we are, partic- we are participating in that result. The important thing is, in justification, we do not participate. Okay, in regeneration, you know, Nicodemus is told, you must be born again. In justification, God does it without any merit on our part, without any works on our part. It is entirely a work of God and His grace. But in sanctification, in our growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we very much are called to participate. But it's actually, you know, the actual grace is always derived from God. Joash. I think, it, you know, the alcohol thing is an example of that as well, where you're submitting to something, you have to imbibe it, right? You have to take it in. You're participating, but then you're giving up control to something yeah. else. And in submitting to the Spirit, you know, at Colossians in chapter 2, not 3, it says, Have you ha- As you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk ye in him. And you were submitting by faith, and that is an active thing that we can do. Yeah. Right? So it's I, the more I submit, like you said, how much of the Spirit, how much does the Spirit have of us? We're giving that up, giving it over. It's an active thing, but then we're also like allowing the spirit to fill us. He does the filling, but we're submitting yeah. to that. It's an active yeah. thing. So there's Yeah, and actually comparing on. it to alcohol like you did, I think is very helpful. You know, I'm if if I give myself to alcohol, I'm making the choice to drink, to keep slamming them down. And then that alcohol takes control of me. But I've participated in that. But it's the alcohol that now has affected slurred my speech. I can't walk straight. I'm not thinking straight. My moral judgment is tainted. It's affected me in all those ways. In a similar way, as I expose myself, as the word of Christ is dwelling in me richly. And as I'm participating in those four uh, participles in these verses, the Holy Spirit takes control. That's, and that may be why he compared, used drunkenness as the uh, opposite end, which is helpful. Somebody else? 
Uh, let's everybody stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.